Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways they connect us. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is The Car Debate. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the podcast. We're thrilled you can join us. I have Nate on with us. Welcome, man. Thanks for jumping back on. Thank you. It's been about a year, and I'm excited to be back. Has it been I that love long? my. It was. It was a year ago, like literally this week. Well, we know it's and because I, Todd's on vacation, so this is about the time he goes on vacation every year, and so that's when I have you on. And uh, thanks for filling in. I do appreciate it. The Cheap Sports Car Raffle coming at you. If you have not seen that, this is the first week that you can enter. You have five more weeks available, and that is at everydaydriver.com. It is the first line there. It is a sweepstakes. We are giving away both of our cheap sports cars. You've got a little bit more time here, and then we're going to be giving them away. By the way, you've got to come to Utah to either drive them back Back, which is a nice little fall break. You can you know, have an excuse to drive through Western Colorado or wherever you live, and then uh, you might have to ship it if, uh, if you can't come drive it. But we are giving those cars away. All the details are on there. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. But also, August is cheap sports car month here at Everyday Driver. We drove all the sports cars with requirements, 25 years or less, 25 years older or less. And these are the cars that will be test drives. And today, the Pontiac Solstice has dropped on the test drive channel. All eight cars will be in two different films, all eight together. And then the five cars that kind of made it through, the ones we should have bought. Did Todd and I do it right? We're not sure. But as a matter of fact, Nate comes from having owned, well, he does own an 86. But you have a friend that did own a Solstice, uh, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I want to make it publicly known on the podcast so there's no discrepancy. If in the fact that I win, I actually already bought some raffle tickets for the cheap sports cars. So I don't want any foul play call if, okay, if the insider enough. wins one of the cars. It's fair enough. today, well before the raffle doing that I have bought <laughs> okay. tickets. Noted. Okay. Duly noted. All uh, right. Yeah, my, uh, my good friend Ben, uh, for a handful of years, owned a Solstice GXP. It was a cool car. I think that ultimately what let it down was uh, that it was hard for that car to do track stuff. It doesn't have any factory rollover protection, and most places won't let you take one of those out on a racetrack, within, right. unless it's like the beginner group and only lead follow kind of stuff. But unlike you know a lot of other cars that either have a roll bar built in or it's easy to install one, like an S2000 right. or so a Miata. So you got money at it, and then you can take any car on track. It's easy. You just throw money at but the problem. The problem with the Solstice is it has that really cool like Corvette-like clamshell for the, for the roof, <laughs> yeah. but you can't put a roll a roll bar in that car and, without cutting up that thing and basically making it a track only car. You can't even have the top or the rear cowl on anymore. Oh, yeah, so he point. wasn't willing to do that. So basically, it was sort of like it just sort of sat. Now, granted, he could have done a little more research before he bought it and he found this out. But, or GM could have done a little more research before they made it. How about that? Because, yeah, like some pop up roller protection yes. would have been nice. It's not like you're going to make this and think nobody's going to ever track these. I, exactly. Come but on. I think it's a really cool car, ultimately, for a motorsports kind of car it's not a great choice which is probably why they don't have more popularity these days in like the in like the third owner market right but they're really really neat they look fantastic they're fun to drive and for on the street with like reasonable limits they are fantastic to drive it's interesting well we discovered that we did a test drive and then it's also part of the eight car film coming at you this is the last episode for season nine it's episode six 
and it's called Factory Refined. We drove a 2020 Lotus Evora GT against the 2020 BMW M2 CS. And by the way, we did drive that BMW M2 CS in 2021. It was only made for one model year, just like the 2011 1M. They stack up interestingly together. The stats are weirdly similar. So that airs on the Motor Trend Cable Channel Saturday, August 7th, 2021. It will air again on uh, on this season nine. One of the reasons that I wanted you to join also was because you recently went to the Toyota press launch of all of their products at their headquarters in Plano, Texas. I just thought you could touch on just a broad strokes overview kind of thing of the new 2022 GR86, which we are, Todd and I are going soon to the press launch to finally drive it, the IS500 F-Sport as well. And my question to you is, why did Lexus build this? And also we could touch on the Tundra. We've also got that national press launch coming up as well. And then maybe you could uh, tell us how much better the Lexus interface is, hopefully. You had never been to one of these before. And it's easy to be overwhelmed, especially at this scale, because most press launches are a single car. This was many cars in different driving environments. And by the way, we invented a new interface. It was wild. I mean, it was four straight or four full days. The the closest thing I could compare it to is like going to, you said that, you know, a single car reveal is um, usually one or maybe a variant of the other. Mm-hmm. This and that let's say that's a concert. This was like a music festival where there's like 35 <laughs> stages good. and like I like that analogy. That's very good. I mean seriously, like the, the one whole day we were at campus and they had basically every 15 minutes we were walking another 150 yards to a new stage that was set up with a backdrop and a screen and a video blurb and chairs and we watched one of those like press unveilings like you like we all watch you know on YouTube these days right right it was one of those every 15 minutes for 10 hours and we saw i mean some of it was just like you know trim packages oh it was crazy some of it was like trim packages and stuff and i kind of made a joke article about that on our website about like the highlander bronze edition or something like really like do we really need to talk about this but well texas needs their lone star edition so they needed their bronze edition am i wrong exactly i'm the hobbyist i'm the i'm the sort of the day walker if you will right and I'm there with 84 other journalists like you and Todd, who this is your job. Sure, sure. So I was wandering around like one of the kids in like Willy Wonka's factory, you know, like just bright eyed and bushy tailed, like, oh my gosh, you guys. And everyone else there is kind of like, oh yeah, last year we didn't see one of these or whatever. And it was kind of funny because I'm like that like eager idiot running around like, how did I get invited to this? And, you know. Well, did, but, they, um, did it give them perspective? Did it give people perspective when you spoke to them and just. Yeah, this is really cool. Impressive that they pulled this off, did it, and invited everybody. I I mean, that's our biggest thing since the beginning of the show, as you know, is we've never wanted to become jaded. It's so easy to become jaded, but we've never wanted to because cars, we love cars. Right. I I said that to some, I mean, I saw some jade getting thrown around there. Let me tell you. And it kind of like, it kind of made me angry. And I was like, first of all, I took a vacation day from work to come here and or a week from work to come here and do this. And like, I'm having a ball. I mean, yeah, sure. It's not all race car driving and stuff, but like, I had a blast. It was awesome. Most of our, our, our listeners and most of the viewers of your show, we've all been there. Like, 20 years ago, you know, you you watch like Top Gear and like, man, those guys have the best jobs in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone else in the game, you, Todd, myself included, we are not Top Gear. We're not, we don't have that budget. We don't get to do all of those awesome things. However, the fact that we get to do some assemblance of like a spec of 
what that dream job is before we even realized we were going to try to do it one day is nuts. And to not recognize how cool that is, like, just go home, go, go, go get a garbage route or something. Seriously. Oh, and, think how, and think how bad your day really is. Wow. Yeah. That's a good no, it was, it was awesome. That was only a few things, but, but I think, you know, everyone was kind of amused at my childlike enthusiasm about the whole thing. Well, tell us about the 86. You got a ride in it with a special driver is my understanding. Yes. Yeah, Ken Gushi has been involved with the 86 platform since the first car, nine years ago or whatever, and he's always kind of been their driver spokesperson of the car, and he still is. So By the way, this actually... video is on our Test Drive channel if uh, you want to see that video with Nate going around the track. Yeah, it was really cool. So we all got some time to, to ride in. We couldn't ride it, but we got to get in it. We got to sit in it, play with it. I, I poked my uh, head under the hood. Uh, even the wheel wells, looking at suspension mounting points. I was really just trying to see how much different it was from the old car. Because depending on what you read, there's a different list of things that are similar or not, or the same or not. And I wrote about that in an article. And everyone should check out our um, our weekly articles on the website, not just for, to feed my vanity, but like we have a really cool staff of writers that has a really broad spectrum of things they like to write about. And peek in every Wednesday. We usually have one article a week, and they're all pretty cool. I but so, echo that. By the way, Nate heads up all of our writers, so he has kindly offered to do that and uh, wrangle everybody. But everybody has such a different take on things and the creativity yeah. and coming up with various topics. It, you know, the things at the back of my mind, you know, things haven't really been answered yet. Let's, you know, discover that. And so Nate will do a posting on our social media to promote our writers and, and uh, a lot of great articles coming out of that. So thank you for doing that, man. You're welcome. And I, and I love it. So I'll keep it simple for high level, but go read the article for more detail. And you guys are going to have your piece out sooner than later. And that, so will everyone else in the world eventually. But here's the thing. Everyone knows that the old car had a lame engine. Now, <clears throat> how how lame you think that engine is changes depending on who you are and what elevation you live in. But That's kind. That's kind. It's kind. I love my car. But <laughs> here's the truth. Like, no one has ever said that it wasn't terrific from a dynamics perspective, from a handling perspective. It's the right size. It's very usable. All these things we all know. The mm -hmm. new car is all of these things once again. They've told me and they've told everyone that they've stiffened this up and put a brace here and it's more 40% more blah, 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 blah. Cool, but I'm telling you right now, from the right seat, it feels pretty much like the old one in the dynamics, handling, weight, balance, all that department. Okay. The engine is crazy. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's crazy like suddenly it'll drag race a Viper, but like the difference that that half liter makes or whatever it, four, 400 cc's makes, it just transforms the entire powertrain. I mean, it doesn't so much feel like, Paul and I was talking to you about earlier before we started recording, it's not like how the ND Miata got 30 more horsepower and now it's like, well, now it's kind of fun and adequate and it wasn't quite there before. And I know that's what everyone thinks this is going to be like, but the new 86 engine feels like a completely different engine. I mean, it is a different engine. It isn't just a bored out version. Like it is a whole new thing. The power band, the way it makes its power, that area under the curve, ignore peak numbers, but the area under the curve is more important for 99% of driving. Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. it's revelatory. It's totally different. And Hey, I've discovered that when I discovered the Miata RF with the revised engine and 26 more horsepower, the car yeah, came exactly. to life. It was a different yeah. car for me. And that's yeah. a little amount of horsepower. Yeah, it's it's and the thing is on paper this is a similar amount, but like it's, it's not just seven or so horsepower. Yeah, like that. it's 
but it's not like the Miata where it's all like up top. Like they just gave it more on top, but the rest of the car is sort of similar. Like this is just bought. This is different. It's sort of like the difference of having like a turbo four versus a V6 or something where they make the same power and, and torque numbers, but mm-hmm. they go about it completely different and they just feel different. Like this is kind of how that feels. It doesn't feel turbocharged, but it does feel like what I always say is like a 90s V6 before they made like 300 horsepower. Right. But when V6 is made like around you know, like, like a 2001 Accord or something, like that when it made like 230 horsepower but it had torqued for days like this is kind of what that the new engine feels like in a in a car that really only gained 40 pounds so it's awesome all right well, i'm excited so what else for you guys to there? drive it i i almost guarantee you're gonna love it and guarantee and it's huh? gonna, that's tall that's i did i said almost yeah, okay um, all right fair no fair. no paul you're gonna love it um right. todd's gonna be elated he's gonna he's gonna like have to sell a limb or something it's to, like uh, me at the porsche experience in atlanta la <gasps> That's Absolutely. how that's how he's going to be when we're there. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Um, and, and and the other thing I'll say this is too the the most the other revelatory thing is the looks. Now everyone's been kind of polarized about it, and people don't know what to make of it. And looking at both of them, all I can tell you is it it looks in pictures to me it looks narrow, tall, and bubbly. And it looks squatty in the front, and it looks like like the back got a wedgie, and all these weird little proportional things look really different than the current car. But in person, it just looks like the current car with a different bumper, kind of like how the facelift was. Like it doesn't, in person, it doesn't look anything like you think it's going to. And if you like the look of the old one and think the new one looks terrible, trust me, in person, it looks a lot more like the old one than you expect. All right. Well, uh, we got to move on. Tell us what's yeah, else yeah, at this Toyota Music Festival. The IS500 <laughs> F Sport was there. You yes. also wrote in it, nobody has driven this car yet, and we do have this coming at us very soon, so we're gonna, going to be able to drive it. So I want to leave a few questions <laughs> unanswered about this car, but sure. I will say, why do you think Lexus built this? They dropped the V8 into this, but it is not an, a genuine F car. It is still an F Sport car. When I wrote in it, I had just gotten out of an IS350 F Sport on the track mm-hmm. i drove it mm-hmm. and as you'd expect like it's a cool road car and it's a nice little sporty sedan but as you guys have ad nauseum mentioned on the podcast and on your reviews that it's like a great pretty decently sporty car but its competition kind of knocks it out in the teeth a little bit i found the same thing out i immediately found its limits and it understeered and it didn't really just want to behave the way i wanted it to on a racetrack I and mean, it was their choice to put me on a racetrack in it but it's just not really <laughs> everybody that yes. kind of driving the the weird marketing idea of not calling it, say, an ISF, but calling it an IS500 F-Sport has thrown the internet into arguments before they've even been in person with the car, right? When I rode in the car and drove around the track, or rode around the track with a Townsend Bell, an ex-Indy car driver, driving me around. Homeboy's fast. Was, yeah, and I told him, I said, trust me, I don't, like, uh, another won't-be-named journalist, uh, YouTuber, kind of got sick doing ride-alongs and he didn't go in again and i got in next and i said okay so here's the thing um i you're not going to scare me you're not going to make me sick i want you to have fun with me in the car and he just smiled and took off (laughs) the the weirdest thing was is like it's not just an is350 with a bigger engine in it and i don't know the parts list i don't know what they've done no they haven't shared that information with anybody right the way that car handles itself, handles its weight, handles its balance on track is every bit as impressive as any like M car you're ever going to see. The way that those BMW M cars just sort of dance defi- despite their 3,900 pounds or whatever, mm-hmm. and you just don't understand how it works, 
this is how this car felt. It didn't fight him. It didn't push against him. It rotated. It did everything he wanted it to do. And there wasn't a hint of the car like freaking out when he was going so fast. So I don't know why they don't call it an ISF. I mean, I, I do have an idea. The reason they made it, the reason they jumped this engine in is, I think, is that this is Lexus's swan song of like, we're not going to be able to have engines like this anymore. We already have this really, really good one we've had in the, the, the coupe and, the, you know, so that I think they just want to be like, well, we have all the recipes to make this cool little car. Let's just do it. And whatever it ends up being, that's what it is. So in that respect, they weren't shooting. Maybe they weren't shooting for the moon to make an ISF. But okay. That's fair why enough. they didn't do it. And the other thing is, too, Lexus's entire lineup, their drivetrains, I mean, all the way down through, you know, the ES and stuff like that. They're working on this ancient three and a half liter V6, which is lovely, but it's not competitive anymore. And on paper, Lexus hasn't really been competitive in a long time because they haven't moved to turbocharging the heck out of everything like everyone else has and fully digital experiences. They still have a lot of cars with hydraulic steering, I think. Sure, and like sure. they, they have a sort of an old school analog feel to them. And in my opinion, I don't care about stats as much as I like the way their cars feel now. We got to leave it yeah. there. We got to keep moving. Okay, you saw the Tundra there as well? Shortly after we got back, someone leaked a picture of it. I think mm-hmm. it was a dealership in Indiana, I heard. Um, and so everyone's now gotten a look at it. The one that I saw, um, they, pulled, they pulled us in a room, took our phones away from us for 15 minutes, and they pulled the curtain off in a, literally like a storage room almost. And they're like, here it is. And it was no interior. They didn't even have a powertrain in it, but the body was locked is what they said. And the one I saw was like a crazy bright orange, and it was completely awesome looking. Orange. And the way I described it. That's interesting. Yeah, it was orange. The way I described it to you and Todd, I remember a couple months ago when we talked about her, it was six weeks ago. You know how like F-150s, um, they look, they're, they're a truck, but then they get like the Raptor treatment and then like Raptorized, sort of like Lexified. Mm-hmm. Once all the trucks get like Raptorized, they just look awesome. And like the Tundra that we that I saw that you know everyone else saw that white version of is like the um, TRD Pro version, so it is kind of the hooked up version, but not the Raptorized version or something. Because Toyota doesn't really make that, as far as we but know. Like, well, they right, as of now, they I haven't mean, yet. Right, there's there's going to be the Raptorized Bronco, Bird and Horse and Snake on the same truck. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> the Raptor. I don't know about but the, the snake, tundra, but at least the bird riding the horse. Yeah, the tundra looks raptorized already, and it looks that Good. cool in person. And I really, I mean, for, there's a couple little weird things that everyone can pick about design. It's not really a design speculation, but overall, I just thought it looked awesome. Nice. And nice. from a not of a truck guy, I was sort of like, man, do I have a reason to buy something like this? And I, I don't, but it's really cool. And all you're talking about is styling. I mean, it's going to be good underneath, but what you're talking about is styling drives stales. And if you want one just because of the way it looks, that's a good start. That justifies it. And then you said they dropped the <laughs> Lexus interface too, which uh, has been detailed in, uh, in an article. That one was like one of the few embargoed ones I have. So I dropped that like on a Friday because that's when everyone else did. Well, definitely. Yeah, the interface read that. is cool. Definitely yeah, read, read check it out if you're interested. If the interface is cool, everyone knows, long story short, everyone knows the Toyota um, interface and their like inter- infotainment system is really behind the curve. They just sort of leapfrogged. And I don't know, I don't drive everything like you guys do, so I don't know exactly where it fits in. Literally driving a Lexus, like different Lexuses and different Toyotas that week, and then getting to demo the new thing, it felt like leaps and bounds <laughs> beyond the old one. And equally as good as anything I've ever See, used that's in a plan. car. It feels fresh and new yeah. because here's all the old stuff and here's this breath of fresh air. 
Yeah. Well, no, the, the, the guy who leads the department for their interface, who, who like spearheaded the project, he got hired on. They told him they, he got hired on because he publicly loathed Toyota's current setup. And he said that in front of like the, like, the VP of North American Toyota. He's like, oh, I hate this thing. That's why I needed to <laughs> You're hired. fix it. Fix it. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Driveshare is the coolest online car sharing platform around. I even have my car on there. It's simple. By connecting car owners with renters, Driveshare unlocks the joy of driving. You can drive something crazy cool. That way, renters can find cars that bring out the awesome at every moment, while owners can earn extra cash to fund their passion. To sign up, cruise over to Driveshare.com or download their app for iOS or Android. That's Driveshare.com. We've got a couple of great car debates for you. First of all is Aaron S. in Texas writing about cars that make you hot and bothered. But he starts his email saying, hello, fellow car dorks. Is this where I send in my car debate? Yes, indeed. Aaron, thanks for writing. He's been listening to the podcast for a while. And I like, Nate, that we have an owner of a 2007 Exige S. And Todd's not here, so we can talk about Lotus when Todd's not here. He's had it for about <laughs> 10 years, and he adores the car in the right setting. By the way, Todd is on vacation driving his Lotus with his son through southern Utah and back up through Colorado, doing the Million Dollar Highway. And if you have not seen the Million Dollar Highway piece with our cheap sports cars, I encourage you to go watch it. It's less about the cars and more about the scenery and, and where we're at and the fact that you can do it in any car. But nevertheless, it's my favorite road in America. It, it is so great. You've done it on a bike. I've done it multiple times on a motorcycle. It is a, it's not the most difficult, but it's probably the nicest blend of scenic, interesting, curvy road, and the road surface is good, and it's dramatic, and it's just like kind of the, my all-time favorite, yeah. Nice, nice. Well, Aaron has always been afraid to get rid of his Exige because he knows, practically speaking, he won't ever have another which I hope is not the case if you do sell it, Aaron. But he does a few track days a year. He's not looking to set any records. He says the car is gorgeous, well-optioned, near-mint shape. But the problem is he's not sure he enjoys driving it all that much most days. When he goes to a track day or an autocross, he's grinning ear-to-ear, of course, but then the drive home can be taxing. The attention, the fragileness, the blind spots. He thinks he wants a more regular car, but he's got some anxiety about selling it. He can't keep it and get get another sports car. Because he also has a Garage Queen 1984 Porsche 930, a Focus ST daily driver, and he says he thinks if he had a pure sports car that was a bit more civilized, he would drive it on most decent days. Now, there's three cars that he can think of that get him hot and bothered. First of all, the Miata RF. Well, that does with the, uh, as you said, the 2019 Plus with the upgraded horsepower. But he says, is it too slow still? He's afraid if he spends 35K and then decide he needs more power and stiffness, He'll end up spending just as much as he sells the Exige for, which is about 50 grand, what he says. He also looks at the C6 Z06, 3,100 pounds, 500 highly strung north, sorry, naturally aspirated horsepower. And I've always said everybody needs a 500 horsepower car in your life at some point. But his worry here is it's too fast for track days, too fast to have any fun without bodily harm and nights in jail. And then he says the obvious choice is the Cayman thinks it's probably the greatest all-around car maybe ever made. And I will take those words, Aaron. That is fantastic. I agree. (laughs) But the cons is he's tired of being fancy and maybe a bit too flashy. You're right. It's a flashy car. He worries about parts cost and maintenance for track use because he has the 930 and he knows how it goes with the Porsches. So he really just wants a great sports car that doesn't scream that, look at me. It's good for about six track days a year, fun on mostly flat, straight streets of Houston suburbia, and he says the Exige is worth about 50 grand these days, but he's leaning towards something he cares 
less about. Is he insane for thinking about trading with his dream car and paper for something more pedestrian? He could entertain trading this ST for a much nicer daily, and he says, it would have to be something special and maybe buy a 5K beater track Miata for everyone, yes. But as pedestrian as the ST is, it's a nice enough driver for him. It's quiet, air conditioner works, decently fun to drive. And the double postscript down here, do you see this, Nate? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he says, he, he yalled us. We, we got yalled from He that. said, he said, y'all know there is no way I'm getting a two-pedal car, right? <laughs> Just the right twang there. Aaron, thanks for writing. I've been working on it. I practiced. <laughs> that's excellent. Thanks for writing. I really appreciate this. And you're right. I mean, that's just it. The harder core, the sports car. Because if you go all the way, then you're going to be trailering your track car to the track instead of driving it there. And I get what you're saying. You want something still fun, but you're willing to trade a little bit. I have two different solutions for you. One is a two-car solution. One is a one-car solution. I'm wondering if we came to the same conclusion, but uh, where are you on this? Okay, well, the weirdest thing is here, and it's almost glazed over, and he does mention it, but I think the biggest problem is the 930 in this equation because he doesn't really elaborate, and, but I'm going to make assumptions that it is extremely personal to him and it, you know the way he says it's a garage queen and whatever – but I think that's the bigger problem than the Lotus, honestly, because like he's driving the Lotus. It, it, it goes to track days six times a year. That's a pretty decent amount of tracking and he autocrosses it and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So now I can totally get behind the idea of that exige only being taken out for exercise, quote unquote, track days or autocrosses. I get why it's a bad road car. I mean, I get it. But the problem is, is that now he has two cars that don't really get driven unless for a real purpose on, a, on an occasion. And I get that that's the problem, but the, the Porsche makes this really hard. Normally, I'd be like, no, 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 keep the Exige. Like, you have a wonderful tool for that job. And then I would say get rid of the Porsche and You're get something advocating else. advocating selling the 930? Oh well, gosh. I could maybe say go get a – sell that and go get like a 997 that isn't quite as like museum-friendly or something that and just drive it. punish on the track or drive just regularly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but okay, so but he's not saying that, so let's just forget about getting rid of the 930. So <laughs> under the assumption we that go. we are – getting rid of the Exige. I get it. Coming from the Exige, the Miata is small and tiny, and he's going to want it to be as close to the Exige as possible, and this will mean ten grand to throw at it at minimum. So I, I don't think that's a good idea. If you're going to do something like that, get an S2000 or something like that for way less than your budget, and then mod the crap out of that thing, and you'd still have like 20000 25000 in your pocket to like use for consumables for track days for the next five years. Is he keeping so like the that, ST that, at this point then? Keep the focus? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, what? What's they're not worth all that much these days, so like, and you like it, just keep driving it. Who cares? The Cayman, I think you're just going to get another precious car out of it. Like, I think he's just going to baby it too much and feel the same way. That's the issue. Now, as far as the whole parts and maintenance i don't i mean look everything you track regularly takes stuff it's going to take brakes and tires and suspension it's going to wear out bushings drinks brake rotors correct so i would say that like if you're going to do the cayman for this kind of purpose i back that play but i would do like 30 ish thousand for like a 987 cayman s not spend your entire budget on the cayman and be broke and then not want to buy tires for it so if you spent like 30 to 35 you got 15 grand worth of consumables as a back fund these cars you know they don't really break that often so it's more about just keeping them fed with stuff and fifteen thousand as a purse is pretty cool for that the z06 i'm all for i think it's awesome i don't think you'd be that precious with it i get the whole like too fast too much car or whatever but like you get to grow with it so just be careful and 
try to attempt to be mature. You get V8 noises and a lot of charm, and right. honestly, the, the only downside to that is consumables. And it's gonna and the Cayman would be too, but the problem with the Corvettes is like their tires are even more expensive, their brakes are even more. I mean, everything's expensive for the consumables in the Corvette. Yeah. However, the rest yeah. of it's dirt cheap. So, like, although, uh, as far as his choices go, I, I see where he's going for. I, I'm kind of at, like, if you're going to get one awesome car, I'm all about the, the Corvette. Um, just to not have another Porsche in the garage, because although you know me, I love a 987 Cayman, but I just, I think it's going to end up in the same kind of realm of preciousness. And I like that he already doesn't think the Corvette's precious. That's cool. But That's for good. a track car, man, like, the Lotus, like, Exige and Elise are always, like, those um, cul-de-sac cars, like you guys call them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's true, you know, you get there and you only can turn around and leave. But the car at the corner of the road when you turn in the cul-de-sac might be an S2000. So at least you get sort of the same vibe from that. I suppose. Um, or similar light kind of though. roads, whatever. Let's say that we didn't do your picks. I was thinking a lot of things like maybe an E36 or an E46 M3 and then track prep that or maybe an Avora. But then I was kind of like, no, 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 no. They're just going to sort of be not quite far off the reservation so i actually think that if you want to get something that's less precious than your lotus that is better to drive on the street and enjoy it and still be awesome for the track i'm kind of a one and done at gt350 mustang really but that uses well, all of his budget special. That's... well yeah i know but like that's re- it's pretty much ready to go <laughs> true but like it's pretty much ready to go and and unlike getting like an Avora or something or a Miata RF and modding it, it's not trying to recreate the experience because honestly, look, look, if you love a Lotus Elise or an Exige, nothing quite does it, right? So everything's going to be like a compromised version of that. You're going to be like, well, it's almost like my Lotus was. Or you could just say, okay, I'm not going to get another light, tiny little car and I'm going to get something totally different, have a new experience and the special factor of that GT350, I think, is awesome. That's a good recipe. So you're saying keep the 930, continue to drive yeah, the Focus ST. He's not, he's not selling that 911. Yeah, no. And then <laughs> <laughs> we, we both know that's the uh, the unwritten line Yeah, that, there. that ain't happening. Then get that yeah. Mustang, the 350. I, I think so because that's a cool that's a cool straight-line car if you want to blast around straight-line roads in Houston. It's a really cool track car. And you know, it, it, ha- it has an, enough specialness about it that it isn't just like a performance pack two Mustang or a Camaro SS one LE or something. The GT three fifty with that engine and stuff it gives it a little bit more flavor and a little more special feel. But in the end, it still is a lot of it is just Mustang off the shelf parts. So I, I, I like that. Didn't occur to me I was over here in Cayman Land because my one car solution, <laughs> of course. I went 987, but I'm going Cayman R, the one built in oh, 2011 so to 2012. Awesome. This is a closest thing to a comfortable Elise or Exige. Lightweight yeah, wheels, lightweight aluminum doors, 121 pounds lighter than an S. It's got that 3.4 liter flat six with 326 horsepower. The problem is the car still screams, look at me. It doesn't yeah. solve the problem what he's doing. And so I just got caught up in my all my Cayman-ness. But the problem is if you went one car like a Civic Type R that you could track and is designed to track, and then you could drive it comfortably on your commute, well, that also screams, look at me. So we didn't really solve it. (laughs) I was thinking about selling the Focus ST, but if it runs and you like it, you're right. There really isn't a reason to sell it unless you want a new experience. And I thought, hmm, Veloster N. Since we're talking Civic Type R, Veloster N will be 30 grand. All right. Loads of fun. You could thrash it at the track too. But if we're talking that, I am going to recommend an 86. I don't love it on the street, 
but on track and the one you want to throw parts at, I think that's interesting because S2000s are going up in value now. And it's yeah. almost getting to the point with S2000s, even though we've recommended them in the track for street and track use. Ah, I should keep this stock. I shouldn't put miles <laughs> on it because now they're going up in value and I got to keep this thing precious and nice and I, I can't drive it anymore. If you can get past that, Aaron, I like the S2000 suggestion. And I like that you said it's on the corner as you're turning into the cul-de-sac dead end. It's yeah, still they're sitting on the neighborhood watch list for sure. But they've gone up in value. And now it's like, yeah, no, you're right. what if I don't want to track my S2000? And if you get a stock one, you're going to pay more. And if you get somebody else's modded janky one, then you're going to have to pour money into fixing it to how you actually want it. So I'm no, that's I'm valid. Fourth on it. So I went to two cars and for a new experience <laughs> and to get something weird, because I think you need something weird in your life. How about the EMW M coupe? And a beater Miata, because I like your beater Miata suggestion. You're going to go thrashed on track. It's only six times a year. It's not like you're going a lot. I mean, six is pretty healthy, but how about the M Coupe? Interesting, quirky, fast. Wait a minute. Is this, are you talking the, 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 the clown shoe? The clown shoe, but the M Coupe. I, I wrote that down, and I, and I literally scratched it off. You did? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about it, and I was like, eh, but... Yeah, I, I, I like I still like it. And I also had the FRS written down. But the only reason I scratched it off was because the S2000 and the FRS were similar, doing the same job, like you said. Yes, but, but 86s are not going up in value. S2000s oh, I can tell you that as an owner. As an owner, <laughs> I, I have the only car in the world right now that didn't take a huge jump in value this year. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, no, no. Didn't mean to rub I, it in. <laughs> no, no, no. I did the – I did the. Uh, I ultimately just scratched it off five minutes before we started recording this. Just and left the S2000 on just because of the whole cul-de-sac thing. And the FRS is not a cul-de-sac car. And that's why I was just thinking it's a little bit closer to the Lotus. But no, Fair. no, no. I Trust Fair. me, man. No, the FRS is awesome for this. I absolutely agree. Aaron, got some suggestions here. Please let <laughs> us know what you buy. And I hope these actually make you hot and bothered too because the M-Coupe makes me hot and bothered. I'll admit we, that. You know what, Paul? I got an idea. If Aaron is so uh, ready to get rid of his um, – Evora, and he does exige. want a modded FRS, or exige, sorry, an Exige, and he does want a modded FRS for track use and autocross use. Do you know anybody that has one? I would be willing to trade him straight up for mine that straight probably up. is worth $12,000 right now. Wow. <laughs> what <laughs> a offer, kind huh? offer to get an Exige. <laughs> You're just a giver, given type of a guy. Aaron. Yeah, well, you know. Please let I us know. Please. <laughs> let us know. And if you've got your own debate, write to us at everydaydrivertv at gmail.com or you can find us on the website. That's everydaydriver.com. And as of this podcast recording, we are one week into the Cheap Sports Car Challenge raffle. So you've got five weeks left to enter, get a ticket, and hopefully you win a car. They could keep running forever. They could break down instantly. But hey, $20 car, right? It is car wash season. Always wash your car in a cool, shady spot. And always use the Brilliant Finish Foaming Sprayer or the Boss Foam Cannon from Griot's Garage. You can create a high foam blizzard party right in your driveway with little to no work and avoid the wash-induced scratches. It's the safest way to wash your car. Try the Griot's Garage Foaming System Complete Kit today and see what the foam is all about. And don't forget, Griot's also has full ceramic family of products including Speed Shine, Wash and Coat, and a 3-in-1 Wax. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed and all the liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order just for our audience. That's G-R-I-O-T-S. 
Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. For the second car debate, I found an email from Keenan and Megan, who wrote to us with this title, My partner wants a weekend car, but then it gets weird. And I sent this to Nate for the debate, and he thinks that it is probably the weirdest and most eclectic email that we've ever gotten for a debate. Is that true? As someone who has been listening to the podcast literally in real time since the first episode, and I've not missed one, I texted you this morning and said, I think this is probably the hardest, weirdest, craziest one you've ever done. Buckle up, people. This is going to get weird. It it is because Keenan and Megan, my solution involves opera for you guys. Oh, boy. (laughs) They write to us saying they do listen to the podcast. They both do. And he says, when you have the right fit for listeners who email you with dilemmas, well, here we are having never entertained the idea of emailing us, emailing us, Todd and I, with a dilemma. Keenan and Megan love cars. It's a passion and hobby they both fervently enjoy. Now, Megan owns a 2017 Volkswagen Golf Sport Wagon with a GTI turbo tune and ton of bolt-ons, making it the unassuming weapon on the road. While these used car prices are so high, they said they are wanting to sell the wagon to get her something to drive around in on the weekend as a fun and eventful car. So their stable at the moment includes, get this, a 1985 and a half Porsche 944, Keenan's weekend car, a recently acquired 1995 Mercedes-Benz E320 wagon, so that means they've got two wagons, and a 2004 Toyota Sienna, which is the hauler camper work truck. But since buying the E320, they've sold their mint daily driver 1980 Mercedes-Benz 300D. I know there's a lot of cars coming at you. It's hard to keep up with. But yeah, it's, this is a crazy list, everybody. <laughs> they like a little pain, nostalgia, and entertainment when driving. Pain, nostalgia, entertainment. Okay? Since picking up the E320 wagon, Megan has fallen in love with it. They made the decision to sell the Mercedes 300 diesel, and now her sport wagon since the E320 wagon has made those two cars redundant. It's a Mercedes. I do appreciate this. I do appreciate this consolidation and this very awareness of their, of their garage. Like this, this proves to me that they, they, even though they have weird tastes, they're very rational. I like this. (laughs) Weird. Okay. Sorry. Go on. Go on. Sorry. Some background information here on Megan before we go into her eclectic tastes. Her first car was a Scion XA. You guys remember those back in 2014 when Keenan and Megan met, she was still driving it. She always professed she liked cars, but had never owned anything interesting with her early dream cars, being a dream car being a 1967 Mustang, an original Beetle, and a Mini Cooper. Keenan's brother was selling his O2 CLK 430 Mercedes with a hot exhaust on it. Let Megan take it for a test drive. And she discovered she likes V8s, loud noises, kidney tugging acceleration, and German build quality. I had a girl. <laughs> so they sold the Scion the week later and bought the CLK. And since then, they've owned quite a few cars. Megan proceeds to comment on all of the cars, which I love. They've sent us this extensive list, including commentary on a 95 C4 Corvette down here at the bottom, saying it was so boring and soulless. She hates it, but it was so rad. So get this. Yeah, I was wondering how you felt about that, because you like that car a lot. I do, and it ties into my my, uh, debate choices here. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) And by the way, Opera, it's coming at you. Megan's budget is going to be anything between $5,000 to a max of $25,000. She's okay with manual. She prefers automatic. She has stated she wants something that is totally unlike the 2017 sport wagon. She enjoys cars that are good at one thing. She's okay with weird styling and quirks. She's okay with a classic, has already bottomed out on depreciation, 
and won't require a ton of work because they have a high pain tolerance. <clears throat> Has a personality, feels eventful. So here's her top 10 cars. Nate, go ahead. Okay, top 10 cars. Um, first is a Mark One or Mark Two GTI, um, an 80s or 90s G-Wagon, a Mitsubishi Delcia van. Uh, Delica, yeah. Oh, De- sorry. Is it Delica? Yeah, Delica. Sorry. Um, a four-liter uh, four liter Jeep Cherokee, not a Grand Cherokee. The one like you had, Paul, right? Uh, you well, had a, you I had think a... she might be talking like 90s with that straight six four-liter, the bulletproof four-liter. Oh, okay. Um, Mercedes C-Clash hatchback compressor. Now, this is that little rear-wheel drive tiny little hatchback it's they made like in the late 90s the or the Manx 2000s. cat mercedes is what it is yeah 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 the Manx cat exactly um with the weird pattern uh like uh 90s trapper keeper pattern seats <laughs> haven't had that, um, heard that word for a long time yeah uh, i'm glad i'm bringing it back thanks a lot uh, a, a subaru baja uh a volvo c30 a mazda miata and a saab 900 so this is kind of all over the place. It almost lands into like three different camps in that top 10 list. When Saab is on your list, yeah. then we know we're getting into weirdness. Yeah, reasoning is out the window if a Saab 900 is on the list. This is awesome, though. <laughs> well, Keenan says he knows this is a little bit like a drunken blind person trying to play darts. <laughs> but he says Megan has weird taste. She likes weird cars and cars that have the singular purpose, kind of like Todd's Wonderful Lotus. But they're also open to new suggestions, and also they're currently bickering about her funny and off-the-wall choices. And he should mention, Keenan's a competent mechanic, so nothing short of a V12 Mercedes or old British luxury really scares him. He's got a high tolerance for automotive pain. Kids are forever out of the picture, he says, so two-seaters are A-OK. So they want our opinions. You've you've given us a ton of information. Keenan and Megan, thank you for writing. I think... uh, We've got so many, you're going to be blown away. But, Nate, I want to hear what you've got because I think you were rubbing your hands together with Glee. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So did you did you touch on – okay, so there's almost two things over here. She's got her, – her top ten list is all a whole thing. And, and I kind of went into that and kind of at least eliminated a lot of stuff or kind of made sense of that a little bit. And then I have some other stuff off the beaten path. All right. Hit it. Do you want to talk about her list first? Uh, well, is, is there anything on her list that you think she should buy? Because these uh, are her kinda, top yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, you know how people write in a lot of times just like looking for permission. And I have permission slips available for a few of these. Um, <laughs> I have a note so, from okay. my doctor. They said right, it's okay. Exactly. Okay. First things first. Um, I, I grouped together the G-Wagon, the, the Mitsubishi cab over van and mm-hmm. four liter Cherokee. Okay. It's so like, oh. let's just clump those together. Okay. Yeah. Now the G wagon, you do not want a 19, 20, maybe $22,000 G wagon. Like that's not a great idea. And honestly, you want like an $80,000 G wagon, not a $20,000 one. So don't buy one of those. How about just the stripped out NATO version of the G wagon? You can right. launch off a cliff or something. But those are probably like huge for rent. The, the problem is anyway, they're real expensive. Yeah, I'm going with a, a big, a big laundry list first of all here because we didn't read the entire um, car history f- for everybody because it's long. But like half of it is old Mercedes, so I'm going <laughs> to go true. ahead and just like nix anything in the Mercedes lineup. And okay. I, I'm sorry, but I'm just not like look. You're you're shopping Mercedes all the time. You don't need our help to go find Mercedes that you like. And they have the so, new E320 wagon, which they're keeping. Completely. They love it completely. So we, you know, another vintage Mercedes is. Kind Kind of boring so I, I honestly like for that reason alone no g-wagon okay. and the van okay look 
like they already have a van. That Toyota Sienna is in their garage. So right. they already have a very good van to do van things. Like don't buy another crappy one when you have a nice one to do van things. So I said no to that. Right, right. Now, of those three, the Cherokee works, but like only if you really want to start try doing off-road stuff. Like don't buy a, don't buy that Cherokee and just drive it around town. Like you're not going to like it that much. Um, so I'm kind of all no for those three, unless you want to try off-roading, which is a new experience. And then that four liter Cherokee would be awesome. Those are great. Um, I like the Miata idea, you know, like if that's a new thing, that's totally different than their normal thing. It's a fun little car, felt good, pop-up headlights. So I'm guessing an NA, go buy one if you want one. They're awesome. Um, and the rest of them are kind of like European hatchbacky kind of things. You know, the GTIs, the Saab, that CLK hatchback, and the Volvo. And of those, I actually really like the Volvo C30. Okay. Um, okay. It, it, because, you know, like it's not bad. It's not a bad idea to have like something quasi modern in your garage instead of everything being old and ancient. And well, you know, the Volvos are cool. I actually almost bought one of those ones and I really like it. I think they look fantastic. The interiors are very sparse in that sort of Scandinavian, you know, clean way or whatever. But um, I think <laughs> they're really, yeah, well, I think they're really neat cars mm-hmm. and um, they're interesting and quirky enough. You throw like a little exhaust on those things and that five cylinder engine sounds amazing <laughs> without being super shouty even. Okay. So fair. all right. I, of those, I kind of like it, you know, um, and they're, they're not exactly single purpose, which is why that category is maybe questionable for me too. Um, and as far as the other thing, so you know, she said she liked the um, the Beetle uh, mm-hmm. is one of her dream cars. And her other dream cars were like a '67 Mustang and the Mini. And I feel like the commonality between those three is all like it's their styling exercises. Maybe she's never even driven one, but she just thinks they look awesome and unique. So if the Miata is too Japanese and maybe too traditional or quote unquote boring in this respect, as not being unique or totally cool. Um, maybe instead of a Miata, you get a Carmen Ghia, like a really nice one. Ooh. Like the best one on the planet that's restored, like a Restomod one would still be inside her budget. So I kind of like that. Like, oh. you know, the, How about the a driving back or a square back. Like the, yeah, or what? Or the convertible? Not any of them. They're all cool. And I, I was just thinking about that because it's kind of like your Beetle thing. It's kind of like a, the Miata thing, and it sort of has that quirky, like, "What is this? I forgot these existed." And they're really neat looking. So um, that's not on our list, but I kind of feel like that's like the the, the blending of a few ideas. Hmm. So that of those ones on our list, I'm, I, like I said, the Volvo is kind of cool, but it's not single purpose. So maybe that's why all four of those kind of hatchbacks are out. Um, I suppose so. Cherokee, this is, again, it's her weekend car. This is just a fun car, which is fun. Yeah, so I think the C30 isn't... I think None of those, like the C30, the GTI, the SOP, none of those are fun enough to be your weekend car. So I'm ditching that whole category. So basically, it's like Cherokee if you want to try off-roading. If not, Miata or the Audible of a Carmen Ghia. That's, that's my take on the list. All good. I, <laughs> I'm so excited. Keenan and Megan... My first thought was rather self-serving because I thought, get an early 90s launch at Delta Integrale with the Martini Racing livery. I mean, (laughs) unique, special, everybody will tackle you at a gas station to ask you all about it, and you'll probably get tired of that. So I moved on to the BMW shoe because we had just talked about the Z3 Coupe or the M Coupe, rather quirky, still cool. That was also on my list as alternates for the hatchbacks, yeah. But you mentioned this C4 Corvette. And I want to remind you about the 1990-1995 ZR1 with that Lotus-designed engine built by Mercury Marine's Mercruiser division. 
And you said something unique like Todd's Lotus. Well, that Lotus-designed engine was built by Mercruiser, and it's really good. Three inches wider in the rear, and it's so unique. It, it's got muscle car feel and a little bit of that 80s nostalgia there, so I'm definitely in your budget. I moved on to the 84 Nissan 300ZX Turbo 5-speed for $18,750, and I thought, whoa, well, then we got to look at first-generation Mazda RX-7s because they're under twenty five k. Oh, oh, oh. Also, we did not mention that he has a 1985 Porsche 944. Yes, we did mention that up front. Yes. Oh, okay. So so that's the other thing, too. I didn't want to get something too close to that because they already have something like that in their driving experience, which I'm kind of with you on the RX-7. It's similar. Similar, but but like uh, I've got the 944. Perusing social media, I came across Morgan Motors posting that they just – Introduced the Morgan Plus 4 CXT, which is an overlanding Morgan. They worked with Dakar Rally Specialist to build this thing. Just watch out for termites. you got to swerve around them. And I well, thought, they're in the woods, so maybe they'll just ignore the car and just eat the trees if you're safariing and taking it rallying. I suppose. <laughs> so how about a 1973 Morgan Plus 8 with that quirky, awful Rover V8? Maybe it's not awful for $40,000. But that's just a little bit too out there. And so I decided on a particular car for you, Megan, that you, I think you're going to love. It is a 1991 Nissan Figaro with 92,000 miles. I found it for you from our friend Adam at Sotomoto in Seattle. This is weird. It's classic. It's special. It's a one-liter turbo, rear-wheel drive, automatic. It's $9,500, and you can learn to sing the Barber of Seville opera like Luciano Pavarotti, and you can sing it in the shower, Figaro, Figaro, as you're driving around, because nobody's seen these things, and it's an automatic, which you said you want, Ten grand, a Figaro. You know what's crazy is that we went about this completely different. And let's be honest, a Figaro and a Carmen Ghia aren't that far off from each other. They're not that far off. They have similar quirky... That is hysterical. (laughs) I just... For everyone who doesn't know what a Nissan Figaro looks like, it's like the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. In like moldy Um, celery metallic, I think is the Oh my gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. With like the white top or something. And it's a convertible, yeah. and the the A pillar and the roof rails stay intact, and the top Man. slides down the back. Paul, this is this is prime work. I actually really Figaro. like this. You can sing opera. I think it's fantastic. I love that. I actually love the Figaro. It, it is the cooler choice than a Carmen Ghia, the more conversation <laughs> starter. Everyone sees a Carmen Ghia once every year and a half or so, but like no one, no one has seen a Nissan Figaro. I mean, just That's think awesome. of it. It's like the book on the coffee table, and people pick it up and you're like, "I didn't know this about you. You're a, you're in a steeplechase. Why didn't you tell me?" <laughs> or <laughs> name the weird thing. I didn't know you're an amateur photographer with your work published. Blah blah blah. You'd get a coffee. It's amazing. At gas stations, it's amazing. people would be like, "What? what is that? And you'd make friends everywhere, Megan, both of you it's, guys. It's like as cute as a Nash Metropolitan, but it actually yes. has a better, like more actual car-looking shape. And it doesn't look as awkward. It just looks cuter. And it's more awesome. of a party vibe, like, you interesting people. Oh, yeah. i got to get to know you people. Who are you guys? Yeah, absolutely. No, this is like the cooler <laughs> brother to the Nash Metropolitan. <laughs> I love it. Nice. Okay, so let's just say we don't go super off the radar or something like that. Okay, like, you right. know. So okay, so this is my second sort of look. Like, okay, right, I see your list, but what if she didn't give a list? What I would have gravitated towards, and I like some of this. 
it's almost like he's poking the bear with the anything shy of like British and and or like a V12 because like that's kind of where my head went. I was like, oh my gosh, buy like a '94 Bentley Arnage or something crazy <laughs> like that. <laughs> that's they're like twenty thousand dollars. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's not um, bad it, because that is just right. ooh. But the right. service. Or like a, 70s or 80s Rolls Royce or something weird like that. Just a totally different thing. But admittedly, that breaks his rule. Okay? Only Keenan and Megan if you chauffeur each other. That, that's the only right. way you get to do that. Yeah, you can't ride side by side. Yeah. Someone's got to be sitting on the back. Always. But so, okay. So if we did, if we took the horrible idea quotient out of that, then I was thinking like, like, and, and again, no Mercedes because we've done that. Um, I was thinking like one of those like mid to late 90s BMW like 740Is. Like, the you know, the, the, the yeah. really cool... I mean, that's one of the most beautiful sedan shapes of all time. It's kind of boring. And you've kind of done that luxury German barge thing before. Yeah. So then I was like, all right, well, I liked where I was at. And then I kind of went like, well, what if we kind of backed it off a little bit? What about like a 90s BMW 8 Series Coupe? Because that would sort of, right? Those are cool. And like, you don't have to get the the V12. You can get the V8 one. Still frightening from a maintenance perspective. Right, (sighs) right, right, right. Or... You go like early or late eighties, early nineties BMW six thirty five coupe, and that's sort of a little bit less scary version of that BMW eight series. What I like about that is it's kind of like that CLK four thirty, but a new take on that kind of formula. I thought that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of digging that like BMW six series because it's. I mean, look, it, it seems crazy and old, but like look at look at their history and what they really dig is like that late seventies to like nineteen ninety. Um, German car thing. So, you know, BMW 6 Series, I think, would be cool. As a wild card that kind of breaks your your, uh, rule, you get like a 90s Jaguar XJS. You don't have to get the V12 one. The six-cylinder one's great. But like (laughs) that being a... Yeah, that'll do just fine. Neither one of them are fast. You might as well get the one that doesn't cost you an absolute fortune every time it makes a weird noise. For the same amount of speed and power, almost. Yeah, I mean, basically. Shy of 130 miles an hour, there's almost no discernible difference in acceleration. And I can say I've actually done 130 in one of the V12 ones before in my lifetime. That's exciting. That's very exciting. Uh, It was terrifying. Exciting (laughs) is another word for it. Exciting in a clenching kind of way. Love it. So, I mean, you know, just like the email, we're all over the place, but I, I really like the Figaro, Carmen Ghia kind of thing. I mean, totally put something different in the garage, a little roadster, something small, quirky, weird. It checks a lot of the boxes that are on her dream list of, like, style, and, you know, um, I, I, I love both of those. Nice, nice. Well, Keenan and Megan, thank you for writing. Let us know what you get, and if you got your own car conclusion, let us know, and uh, we'll definitely feature it soon. Well, we've got time for just a few questions here. And Nate, you're on the podcast, so you can answer motorcycle questions. Andrew Patton has a motorcycle question for you. He says he keeps wondering about getting a Saunders Metacycle electric motorcycle for five grand. What is yeah. this thing? There's a lot of these like upstart electric companies, and most of them are end up being um, – so, okay, electric motorcycles are not super new. They haven't become mainstream because they're wildly expensive. Like, uh, Harley came up with a really nice one in the last year or so, but it's like $22,000. And for an experimental kind of hardware, it's hard to have a lot of people buy in on that. Sure. Zero is another company. They've been making them for a while, and they've finally become mainstream enough to dip down. You can get something around 10000 But pretty much aside from that, every almost everything else has been basically a glorified bicycle with an electric motor on it. And there's a huge gap there of like, on, you know, less than 10,000 for a quote unquote motorcycle that isn't just a bicycle and a bicycle. So this company is actually really cool. Um, 
The Saunders is neat. It looks fantastic. It has this cool, like, spar, uh, extruded aluminum-looking frame, and it carries the weight real low. It supposedly has a range of, like, 80 miles, but I'm guessing it's probably more like 50, which is still good for a commuter kind of thing. I think it's awesome. I think that kind of price point is the perfect way to dip your toe into the pool of motorcycling in general for something new at least and also to try the electric thing most people when they start riding motorcycles they don't venture out too far too quickly and a lot of people just stay within their community and that 50 60 ish mile range or whatever it's going to be is probably going to be just fine and uh, it's the kind of money that you're not going to lose a whole bunch on it if you end up trying to you know you you like motorcycling now because you've had the saunders metacycle and you buy something else you're not going to lose your you know your shirt on it And maybe you just ride it to work every day for pennies in the dollar for the next 10 years and you love the thing. I have no idea. But I actually think it's a really, really cool way to get in. And as far as a new motorcyclist goes, there's less controls to worry about. You're not trying to balance and work a clutch with your hand and a shifter with your foot and basically playing mechanical twister. Mm -hmm. So the electric bikes are really cool for a learning perspective too. So I'm I'm all for it. I think it's awesome. And I can't wait for him to get one so I can hear all about it. Thomas G22 says, if we were to go on the pilgrimage trip and you got a speeding ticket, do you have to pay it? Well, as a matter of fact, in 2015, we did. (laughs) Porsche generously gave us the 2016 Cayenne GTS, which we promptly, well, almost maxed out, I think, on the Autobahn with four people in it. And then driving through town, it was, I forget which town it was, but nevertheless, the speed cameras got us. And the photo that was mailed to us, because, of course, they get the license tag. That went to Porsche. Porsche said, oh, who had the car at this time? Oh, Paul and Todd did. Let's send them a nice little grainy fact sheet of the speeding ticket. And it was just that. We couldn't tell who it was. And I thought it was me. And then we figured out it was actually Todd driving. And we were over by just a tiny amount. We thought, you know what? Probably good to pay it because we want to come back. We want to leave a nice trail of happy people and not like, oh, those guys again. Or be met at the airport, of course, with uh, an arrest warrant. So we I was just going to say it. that it's 2022 <laughs> pilgrimage trip or something like that. It's going to be like you're going to get off the plane and you're going to get in handcuffs. Yeah. See, what was uh, so fun is the wire transfer fee was slightly more than the amount of the ticket. So that oh was a lot. Gosh. Of yeah, it was, I think the ticket was 35 euro and the wire transfer fee was 37 euro. And I just thought, oh, perfect. That, that's you kind awesome. of do it just for the story at that point. So that's <laughs> it, not a ton of money. It's awesome. We, we did. So yes, pay your speeding tickets regardless of where you get them <laughs> on the planet because you might go back. So I saw one from Charles S. Kim. I really liked it. It says, you have $30,000 to spend on two new or used cars. One has to be a fun car and one has to be a daily. What do you get? So he said it's 30000 to represent the rough average price people spend on a new car. Now, I'm going to Paul limit this right off the bat and oh. say that actually, actually, the the average price of of a new car for sale I looked this year is now just it finally crested forty thousand so technically we get some more money to play with but I'll I'll play with your thirty just to answer your question though but Paul you go ahead did you, you look at this one what do you go think? ahead what would you do no with, go ahead I got a ton of old vehicles that aren't worth much but my garage right now I have my mildly modded FRS. And I have my daily driver is an 05 Infinity FX45. It's like that V8 
shoe SUV thing they had back then. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like that combo. The one is super comfortable. It makes V8 noises. I get to work, can haul a decent amount of stuff. I don't have children, so I can actually fold the seats back whenever I want and throw a lot of stuff back there. And it's quiet and it's smooth and it looks pretty good despite its age. And I love my FRS. So you could actually, I could replicate my garage for well under 30000 right now because I think I paid like $9,500 for that Infinity a couple of years ago. That's right. And that's the right. going rate for my car is like, I don't know. I could probably, you could probably replicate my car by buying a stock one for around 12 or 13 grand and throwing like 5,000 or 7,000 bucks at it. So that's well under the 30 and I'm just keeping my garage for 30 grand, Charles. All right. Fair enough. Well, Charles, I am going to go 40 because I want you to have a $30,000 Cayman <laughs> and a $10,000 Fiesta ST or something. boy. Come on. I mean, if you're going to give me 40, I'm going to use it all. <laughs> We've got- I, I, I allow you to get 40 for, for just for the change. All right. That's, actually, that's, a, that's a really cool garage though. It is a good garage. Come on. Yeah. Well, uh, we've got time for one more. Uh, didn't you have another bike question you said? Jorge Magellan up. What makes a good road trip slash road trip vehicle? I went vehicle since two-wheel Nate is guest hosting, which is very nice. But um, I think actually for me, the answer is the same. Everyone sort of has a different spectrum of sacrifice. You know, like what they can put up with for distance. Not everyone needs to be in a limo or, you know, like a luxury cruiser. And some people can tour in an Elise. I mean, Todd's doing it right now, right? And whether it's a motorcycle or a car, I think the sweet spot is different for everybody. But my sweet spot is I want just enough comfort that I can put up with so I can have the best possible handling and dynamic vehicle when I get to good places to go drive on my road trip. I like that. I'm with you on that. And that means something that will kind of keep being intrusive a little bit to keep your attention. You don't want something that's going to put you to sleep and you're going to, you know, just disappear into your podcast or your tunes or whatever that is, or, you know, a bunch of snacks. You want something that is still engaging and interesting to drive. The flip side to that is that it might be a little bit more tiring. Sure, sure. You have that ability, as you said, Nate, when you get to a somewhere, now it's still got your attention and now it's definitely fun to drive and you can take advantage of those little offshoots on your road trip. I mean, the reality is this is why the GT car is exists and why they're so cool. I mean, they don't really ever do anything really that great, but a good GT car is nearly a sports car in the dynamics and handling and performance department and nearly a luxury car when it's not. And so, you know, if we're talking GT cars, my ideal one, oh, I'm, I'm going with like a Lexus LC 500 convertible all day long. I love that car. Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Really appreciate your car debates. And Nate, thank you for being back on and, and jumping in here. Uh, I love the, the perspective. Pleasure and, I do. Yep, I it was the utmost pleasure, and I thank you for having me on and being kind as a guest and letting me steer your uh, podcast off the rails a little bit once in a while. <laughs> it's all good. Guys, we're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>